Well, we uh, have a, a, a special speaker this evening. She's really special to me, and uh, it's my wife, and uh, she's going to share the Word of God with us this evening. Uh, most of you know she is an ordained Assemblies of God minister in her own right and a wonderful teacher and preacher of God's Word. So would you lend your attention to her this evening? Ooh, I don't know about y'all, but during the praise and worship, whew, I'm telling you, I think I have a word. I know I have a word tonight for you, but I want you to close your eyes before I share what God has given me, because God has given me another word to give you at the very, this very moment, and he says to tell you that you have been focusing on the little things and that the little things have become monumental things. And he says, get your eyes off of those little things and start focusing on who he is and what he can do and the power that is associated with his name. And he says, as you focus on him, those little things are going to begin to melt away. But he says tonight know that he sees you he knows you he knows where you're at and he knows every detail of your life and nothing has escaped his eyes his all-seeing eye so give him thanks hallelujah, hallelujah. well i'm thankful for god and what he means to me are you now, you've never heard me teach or preach, so I'm not Mike Glover. I am Phyllis, so I won't have the three T's lined up with the three R's, and I won't have the joke to give you either, so. <laughs> I want you to get your Bible out, and I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 4. And we're going to read from Exodus chapter 4. Now, we're going to teach on uh, Moses tonight. And when you mention Moses, everybody always thinks, oh, Moses. Everybody knows Moses, right? But he has some powerful truths to teach us. Um, and Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 says, And Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me, nor will they hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Smart man, right? And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and he called it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Now, God has asked Moses... Uh, a very important question, and it's a prophetic question. Am I too loud? I feel like I'm screaming at y'all. Okay. 
So God has asked Moses a very important question, and it's a prophetic question. And he's saying, what is that in your hand? Now, we, a lot of times, out of frustration, we make the statement, oh, this is totally out of my hands. I'm resigning. I'm giving it up. This is out of my hands, right? We've all said it, right? If y'all get with me, we'll get done early, okay? If you don't get done with, if you don't get with me, well, then we'll just sit here and we'll just tolerate this. But God has got a word for us, so I want y'all to shake your head that you're listening, you're getting it, or raise your hand, or whatever, okay? Got it? Got it. Okay. So we get frustrated with life and the stuff of life, right? I mean, it, sometimes it seems like it comes at us 90 miles an hour. And it's easy for life to frustrate us. But Moses teaches us some important things. He was a man of God. He had his faults. He had his failures. But Moses has a lot to teach us. Moses lived 120, 120 years, and he can be divided into three 40-year segments. The first 40-year segment of his life, he was, it was spent, we know that his mom had to give him away because of the decree that was uh, sent out to kill all of the, uh, the boys under two years of age. And so his mom puts him in the Nile River. He's rescued by the Pharaoh's daughter. And so the first 40 years of his life, he lives in the palace. He lives the life of a king. He lives with the king. And so it can be uh, uh, labeled as the place of pomp and privilege because he got to live the king's life. And this is a powerful truth to us because before we can ever understand who God is and what he is to us, you've got to understand that when you accept Christ as your savior, that you are a child of the king right? So you got to know who you are in Christ. And so this speaks powerful volumes to us. It was a place of pomp and privilege. And then the second 40 years of his life was spent in the wilderness as a shepherd. We know that he had to flee the palace after he killed an Egyptian. So he has to flee. He goes to the wilderness and he begins to take care of his father-in-law's sheep. And so that second 40 years of his life was the place of preparation. God had a purpose and God had a plan for his life. He had a destiny. The scripture says that before we were even born that God had a purpose and a plan for our life. There is a destiny for each one of us. So that second 40 years of his life was spent um, being in preparation for the next 30, 40 years that God had for him. And it also speaks volume to us because we understand we can't always live in the palace. As much as we'd like to, life is not always the palace life, right? Because it's about meeting the real world and dealing with the real world. Even David tells us in Psalms 23 that God prepares a banqueting table for us, but then he quickly goes on and he tells us that, that our life then is a journey, that he gives us paths for us to be able to see. It's not a wide open pasture for us to see. It's a, a path, and so he only gives us a little bit to see at a time. And so that preparation that, that Moses was in in the second 40 years of life, it was preparing him for the next event of his life, the next journey of his life. And God is always preparing us 
for the journey that he has prepared for us. So in the wilderness, Moses found the provision of God, and he found the faithfulness of God. Isn't that powerful? Because it's most time in the wilderness that we experience the, the greatness of God, and we see how powerful he really is in our life, right? You can look back at your life at this moment, and you can understand the wilderness experience that you have walked through, and you can also understand that God showed you powerful things during that wilderness time, right? I remember when our second church that we pastored, and uh, we were there a year, and that was about as all we could take. <laughs> that year was a very difficult year. Half the time we didn't get paid when we were there. And I don't want, I'm not telling you this to make you feel sorry for me because God has been good to us and he's blessed us. But it was that year of wilderness, pastor in that church, that God taught me the faithfulness of God. Because not once did my baby ever go without a meal. Not once did my baby ever have to do without anything because why? God was a faithful God. So the wilderness is a place of provision and it's a place of God's faithfulness. The third 40-year section of uh, Moses' life was spent then leading the children of Israel to the promised land. And so that's a place of perseverance. And how many of you understand that life is about persevering. It's not about quitting. He says it's a race. And if you understand a race, you understand there's a starting line and then there's a finish line. And if you, start, if you stop anywhere in between that starting line and that finish line, it's no longer a race. You quit. You stopped, right? So it's about persevering. So in the third and the fourth chapters of Exodus, we're told that when Moses is out in the wilderness and God is preparing him to lead the children of Israel, that one day he has an experience and he got to see something that most people don't get to see because there was a bush all of a sudden that catches on fire. And out of that bush, there was a voice that began to talk to him. And uh, the Lord was speaking to him and he told him that he would one day lead the children of Israel out of slavery. And as soon as he heard that, Moses was like any other good American uh, citizen. When you're told that you're supposed to do something, we give all of the excuses of why we can't do it, right? Don't look at me like that. If we don't want to do something, what do we do? We find all the excuses that we want to give, and we try to make them legit why we don't want to do whatever it is that we don't want to do, right? So Moses, he did what anybody else would have done. He began to protest. He gave God four reasons why he wouldn't be able to lead the children of Israel. He told him that he was unworthy because he was a murderer. He told him that he was ignorant because he had no godly training. He told God that he lacked the eloquence of being able to speak. And then he used the fourth excuse, which is probably, probably the best one. He said that nobody would believe him. <laughs> So basically, Moses is telling God, it's out of my hands. Now, we immediately start tuning God out. God wants to speak to us. God wants to do powerful things in our lives. And yet we begin to tune God out and we say, oh, no, God, you can't do that because 
it can't work like that. God, you can't do that because it's never worked like this. God, you can't do this. That's not going to work. We're guilty, right? Now, it says, if they're looking down at this point, just keep moving on. So I'm moving on. Moses was giving up before he ever tried. And how many times do we do that? God gives us an assignment. God gives us a vision. God gives us a dream. And we immediately abort it because we say, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that can't happen. That'll never happen. Oh, God, that, that's just too big. That is just way too far out. So as far as Moses was concerned at that moment, he's giving God all the reasons why he can't do it. And he's basing his decision on past failures. Wrong mistake. We've all mis made mistakes. God knows our mistakes. God knows all of our faults and our failures. And yet he's telling Moses what he wants him to do. And Moses saying, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Isn't it silly how we argue with God? God knows everything about us already. So why would we begin to tell God we can't do something? Why would we begin to tell God, oh, you got the wrong person. You need to let sister so-and-so do that. Or you need to let brother Hoopendiddle do that because he'd be better at it than I would be. We start giving God all the excuses. And so as far as Moses is concerned, saving his friends and the loved ones from the tyranny of the Egyptian slavery, he had already wrote it out. Whoop, that's out of my hands. But... God, being a good God, he was patient with Moses, and he continues to speak to Moses and persuade him that he's the right shepherd for the job. And so we see that God reassures Moses with an extraordinary miracle. He's asking Moses a very important question. He says, what is that in your hand? Now, I want you to start thinking about this phrase, what is that in your hand? Because God has given every single one of you something, and it's in your hand. It is your responsibility. It is your baby to see and to take care of. It is the thing that God has called you to do. Because Jeremiah 29, 11, if you believe it, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and expect it in. So, Everything that he has in mind for us has an ultimate good in our life. It has an ultimate end that will bring good in our life. So Moses, God asked Moses, he says, what is that in your hand? And so for Moses, it was just a staff. It was just an ordinary stick. It was just something that he had used for the past 40 years to help take care of the, the sheep. But God says to Moses, throw it down. So Moses throws it down. And when he throws it down, it turns into a snake. And the scripture says that Moses ran from it. He was a wise man. You see a snake, you run, right? Smart people do. <laughs> smart, smart people go far, far away from snakes. But Moses, it turns into a snake. And, and, and uh, we see that God is trying to get Moses to see the power of God. And he wanted Moses 
he wanted to use Moses, but Moses didn't think that he had anything that God could use. Isn't that the lie of the enemy? The enemy is always trying to convince us that we have nothing to offer God, that we have no talents, that we have no gifts, that we have nothing. But the Bible is very clear that each one of us have been given a gift. Each one of us have been given a talent. Each one of us have been given something to do. So Moses, he immediately starts using excuses, and we've used all those same excuses. And the truth is, it's, it's okay to admit that you're afraid. I mean, I've been afraid a lot of times, but the truth is that I can't let my fear stop me from doing what God has called me to do, right? Every one of us could sit down in fear, and we could be paralyzed for it. We, we all have let our handicaps stop us. We've all let our weaknesses hinder us. We've all let the fear of the unknown to stop us. But see, Moses being afraid didn't intimidate God. God was not going to let Moses just stop on the fact that he knew Moses was afraid. So God simply tells Moses, and he says, pick up that snake by the tail. Well, I've got to tell you that if that had been me, God telling me, I would say, are you sure, God? Can you give me three reasons that I know that it's you, God, telling me to pick up this snake? Because <laughs> I don't like snakes. But he picked it up. He did. He picked up the snake. For me, I would have taken another rod and I would have beat the pooey out of it because I wouldn't have wanted to pick up the snake. But you see, Moses did. He did what God told him to do. And when he did, Moses he was able to witness the miraculous again. Number one, he's seen a stick turn into a snake, and then he's seen the snake now turn back into the stick. So at that moment, Moses experienced, and he, he sensed the trustworthiness of God's holy word. See, what God says is always true. God cannot lie. God cannot change his mind. What this word declares when he breathed, the scripture says he breathed into holy men and he gave them the scripture. When he breathed into them, I believe with all my heart that they could not write a word that they were writing because that pen was simply guided by the hand and the breath of God. So when we say this is the word of God, we can be sure that this is the word of God. It does not have any errors in it. It does not have any mistakes in it, like the world is trying to tell us now. It is the word of God. So when we understand God's word is always trustworthy, we understand that God will be patient with us and he will help us to grow in his faith. And we also understand that he delights in operating in the miraculous and in the supernatural. You know what the problem with the church is today? Thank you for asking. We don't believe he does miracles anymore. We don't believe that the supernatural exists anymore. We believe it was for yesterday. But if you believe God's word, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's the same, if he was yesterday the supernatural and the miraculous, then today he is the supernatural and the miraculous, and tomorrow he will be the supernatural and the miraculous. But the problem is, is that we don't believe it. We really don't. 
We have let the world convince us that those days are gone. But think about it. With Moses' staff, listen to this. Exodus 7, 17, the scripture says Moses struck the Nile River and it turned to blood. Exodus 8 and 5, it said he, that same stick, it brought a plague of frogs out of the waters. Exodus 8, 16, he struck the dust and he turned them into gnats. In Exodus 9:23, he stretched it toward heaven and it brought down fire, thunder, and hail. Exodus 10 and 13 tells us that it brought a plague of locusts. In Exodus uh, 14 and 16, it divided the Red Sea. In Exodus 17 and 6, it struck a rock with, with uh, he struck the rock with the stick and got water out of it. In Exodus 17 and 9, it says when he held it high in the air, that his warriors prevailed in battle. All with what we would consider a dumb stick. Nothing is dumb with God. Nothing is insignificant with God. So God used the staff that was in Moses' hand. He used it as a tool of God's authority. He used it to get God's job done. And he used it to get God's children delivered from Egyptian bondage, all with a stick. So we have to ask ourselves this question. What is that in your hand? What is it that God has given you? The Lord has used what people had in their hands many times to prove his power and his authority to them. We go over to the scripture and we find that Moses' sister Miriam, that she has a tambourine in her hand and nobody bring a tambourine Sunday, please. I hate tambourines. <laughs> but with the tambourine in her hand, she used it to lead the people to praise God after crossing the Red Sea. So what is that in your hand? David had a sling in his hand, and a giant named Goliath fell when he used it. So what is that that you have in your hand? The widow, she had only enough food for one more meal for her and her son. But when she offered it to God's prophet in obedience, Elijah, for the, next, for the rest of the famine, her meal bearer never ran out. So you have to ask yourself again, what is that in your hand? The little boy, that he had a sack lunch, and he used it to feed, it was used to feed 5,000. It's more like 20,000 with all of the women and the children. So you have to ask, what is that? in your hand. Mary of Bethany, she had a jar of precious perfume. It cost her a whole year's salary just to purchase it that she wanted to pour out on Jesus' feet. And so you have to say, what is that that you have in your hand? The poor widow, she only had two copper coins in her hands and she gave it all. So you have to ask yourself, what is that in your hand? You see, there are three things that we should do with what we have in our hands, because we all have something in our hands. What I have in my hands is different from what you've got in your hands. God has given me specific things. He's given me dreams. He's given me promises. He's given me promises that he would do this for my family, that he would do this in this situation, and that he was going to do this. Those are the things that I have in my hand. And I can throw them aside 
And I can say, eh, he hasn't done it yet, so I might as well just discard it. How many times are we guilty of, I've been guilty of this going through the move. When I was packing up things, I'd say, eh, I hadn't used this thing in six months. I don't need this. I'd say, oh, I hadn't used this in a whole year. I don't need this. And what do we do? We toss it. We get rid of it, right? And probably as soon as I move in my new house, then I'm going to say, you know, where is that such and such? Oh, I got rid of it. As soon as we get rid of this, we need it, right? <laughs> okay. It says they have toned out again. You are a tough crowd. You see, there are three things that we need to know with the things that we have that God has given us. There are some promises that are very precious to me. God's given me promises. And I have to know that if God said it, he's going to do it. But you know what happens is because we get discouraged, we get our mind filled with other things, and we lay it down, and we bury it, we put stuff on top of it, and then we don't remember where it's at. We don't remember our promise. And then we think, God, you haven't answered this prayer yet. And God said, well, I'm waiting for you to pick it back up because you laid it over here. It's under this pile of stuff. You threw it away because you thought that promise was no longer a promise. And we get frustrated at God for not answering our prayers and our promises. And he's frustrated at us because we've got it buried over here under the pile of stuff. So one of the things that we learn about what to do with what we have in our hands is, number one, God cannot use anything that we have until we let go of it. Ooh, and that's hard. That is hard. I know that when we were walking through two very difficult years with our son, when we went into the ministry, I said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you call me to do. But if we win thousands to the kingdom of God, but we lose our own kids, then we haven't accomplished anything. So, God, I'm asking one thing of you. I want my kids to serve you. If I go and do what you ask me to do, I want you to covenant with me that my kids will serve you. Now, he didn't say that I wouldn't have to fight for that. And I did. I had to contend for that. And I learned during those two years that our son was so far away from God. He was mean. He was rebellious. He wanted to get in our face and defy us. But we stood true to the word of God. And I would, uh, every night I would go to bed and I would declare, God, he is my covenant promise with you. He will serve you. And I held on to that. I would not let the enemy take that promise from me. And one of the hardest things to do is to trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Not part of it. Not the part that's easy to trust, because we're good at doing that. But he says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not into your own understanding, because it does not make sense most of the time. 
with the path that you're taking with the Lord. It really doesn't. God has a totally different plan and a totally different view of things than what we do. We cannot see how God sees. We cannot see beyond where we're at the moment. And so he tells us in all of our ways to acknowledge him. So we have to trust with all of our heart. We have to lean into his and, and to lean to him and not our own understanding. We have to acknowledge him in all of our ways. And then the last part of that scripture, we miss it. He says, and then he shall direct your paths. You've got to do all of the t- criteria that gets up to, and then he shall direct your path. And that is a hard part. When we were walking through the difficult place with our son, he asked me how much I was willing to give up for him. For my son, I said, well, God, what do you mean? Because immediately, that's kind of scary. And I said, well, God, I've served you all my life. I don't know what else to do but give you everything that I've got. And Lord, everything that you've given to me is because of your grace and your love and your mercy anyway. And he says, but how far do you trust me? And I had to do some soul searching because it's easy to trust to hear. And you say, well, Lord, I'll trust you here, but then please don't do this, and then please don't do that, Lord, and then please don't let this happen. We're all guilty of it, right? But God cannot use anything that's in our hand until we let go of it. And he will not force us to give up anything, but we have to willingly offer it to him. And then he can do something powerful with it, but it's only until we can totally surrender it to him and give it to him. The second thing that we learn about the things that are in our hand is that God did not ask Moses to use something he did not have. Think about it. Moses has a stick in his hand. And God says, what's that in your hand? And he says, a rod, a stick. So we learn from that that God always uses what we have. And he's never demanded from us what we do not have. My mama used to say, we can't get blood out of turnip, right? Well, God understands that. He's just asking us to give back to him what he's already given to us. And he will always make provision for whatever he asks of us. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need. He knows our need. So the third thing that we learn is that we never know the full potential of what we have until we allow God to have full control of it. So God is not looking for our capabilities. How many of you understand that God never lets you do what you think you're good at? Right? You know why? Because if you did only what you were good at, you would think you were really good and you did something good and God would not get any of the glory out of it. God asks us to do the things that we can't do, the things that we feel incapable of doing, the things that we feel like are totally out of our league that we think we cannot do. That's the things that God will ask us to do because then he knows and we know that we're totally uh, dependable on him. So he only looks for us to be available 
with our talents and our possessions. So he accepts us as we are, and then he begins to use us where we are. And what you do for the Lord will never be the same as the person sitting next to you. Got it? One of the problems in the kingdom of God is that we try to be somebody else. God has never asked you to be anybody else. He doesn't want you to be anybody else. He wants you to be you because that's how he designed you and created you to be. So another thing, another time, God is saying, what is that in your hand? Now, we all like to argue about the time thing. And we say, oh, I don't have time. But guess what? We've all been given the same amount of time. Listen to this. It says... What we do with our time is important. Our time can be spent for ourselves or our time can be spent for the Lord. Our time can either be wasted or it can be used to glorify the Lord. With the things of God, there are no idle moments. We have been created to glorify the Lord. And each of us have been given the same amount of time. Listen to this. Let's say today I'm going to deposit $86,400 $86,400 into each of your checking accounts. You'd all say, woohoo, right? Y'all not excited? I'm going to deposit $86,400 into your checking account. I'd be running around here saying, woohoo, glory to God, hallelujah. But y'all just sitting there going, hmm, not real, okay. All right. Here's the rule, though. I'm going to deposit $86,400 into your account every day. But if any of the money is unused or left over at the end of the day, it is automatically withdrawn from your account. So, in other words, tonight at midnight, you're going to have $86,400 deposited into your checking account. But 24 hours later, at 11.59 p.m., this money has to be gone. It has to be completely withdrawn from your account. The second rule is anything you wisely invest is yours to keep forever, but anything you waste is gone immediately. Well, that's a bummer, isn't it? The third rule is that you can spend it how you choose as long as it is for good. All right, so your wills are already turning, right? What would you do with 86,000? Every single day you'd have to spend $86,400 and make it good. So if you had that opportunity, what would you do with that kind of opportunity? And how would you make a difference? See, the truth is, is that every single day we are given 86,400 seconds. That's what 24 hours is. 86,400 seconds. We're given to them, they're they're given to us by God. You and I are entrusted with something far more important than money, and that's our time. And this day will soon be passed. And there's an old saying that's only what's done for God will last. So in order to make our 86,400 seconds good, We have to take time for God because it's life's only lasting investment. And we have to take time to pray because it is the only thing that will draw us closer to God. We have to take time to worship because it's what the angels do all day long. We have to take time to love others 
because it's the commandment of God. We have to take time to serve God because it's the act and the purpose of adoration. And we have to take time to be holy because the Bible says without holiness, no man shall see God. So again, I ask, what is that in your hand? The universal excuse is, I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. I just don't have time to commit. I don't have time to get involved. But here's the truth moment. We have more gadgets and technology to make our lives easier than we've ever had before. And yet we've complicated our lives more than we ever have before. Is something wrong with that? Too many people have decided to just exist, and in making that choice, they are drowning in the stuff of their lives. So once again, God is asking, what is that in your hand? So here's his plan, and I'm hurrying. God asked Moses for whatever he had in his hand, and so you have to see first what is in your hand. What is it that God has given you? Number two, God pressed Moses to be obedient to his word. And he's asking the same of us too. We have to simply give it up and be obedient. So one more time, I'm going to ask you, what is it that is in your hand? Moses, God had Moses to a certain standard and a certain expectation. And God can do no less with you and I because he's the same God. He's asking you and I to examine what we really are holding in our hands. And then we have to ask ourselves this question, is the stuff that I'm holding in my hands making a difference for eternity? How can we sit there and be nonchalant about the kingdom of God when we think about the price of eternity? I would fight to hell and back for my kids and my grandkids. And I would fight to hell and back for every soul that I see around me that does not know God. I can do no less because that's what God has called us to do. God has commissioned us to be soul winners, to reach the lost. So what is it that is in your hand? And ask yourself, am I being obedient to what God has asked of me? Am I being motivated by fear or faith? Am I living in terror or am I living in truth? And what is it that is in your hand? Because you have been given something by the Lord. You can either hold it in your hand and value it and protect it and cherish it, or you can throw it to the side. If you throw it to the side, you're aborting the promise and the purpose and the destiny that God has for your life. I choose to hold what God has given me in my hand. I choose tonight to fight with everything that's within me. I will fight for what the things that God has given me in my hand, and I hope you do the same.